Well, congratulations to those moms and dads, the littles that were up here. And, you know, praise God that we're a church that uh, together kind of steps forward with this idea of discipling the next generation and, and investing in the next generation for Jesus. And if you are a loved one who's come for the child dedication today, friend, family member, whatever it might be, I want to welcome you to our church. Uh, this is the time where we spend about a half an hour looking at the Word of God together in a, in a sermon. I just want to welcome you into kind of what is like our, our family living room as we do this together because this morning we're actually talking about parenting and what it means to be a parent. Uh, you know, I heard at least one once at each service this morning an older uh, individual or couple say to a younger family, goodness, I am so glad I'm beyond that stage. I'm so glad those years are over. And you know, parenting is not for the faint of heart at any stage. It's difficult. And part of why we do this the way that we do it, this dedication thing, is that young moms and dads, they need the support of a loving church family. We do this together. There's a very real sense in baby dedication uh, that it commits us to doing this as like a team sport endeavor, this idea of, of, of seeing God's work in our kids' lives. And that, that really kind of begins with us individually. That's kind of what we're gonna unpack uh, this morning. But parenting is hard, and Christian parenting, I think, has its own flavor of hard, if you will. It comes with this set of like uh, expectations and pressures for how our kids will turn out. Right? That, they, they are, that they're godly, that they model certain behaviors and, and, and not others. It comes with this unique pressure. And you know, a lot of that pressure actually comes from a wrong understanding of the scripture that undergirds our children's ministry. Some of you know the, the verse by heart, Proverbs 22, 6. says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We're more uh, contemporary rendering that I think it's very similar to what Kimberly read. Start a youth on his way and even when he is grow old, he will not depart from it. And so this morning we're going to really kind of ask, uh, what does that verse actually mean? And what does it mean for us to be committed as a community of God's people uh, to that process? And if you're new and kind of visiting with us this morning, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what the gospel is and why we believe that's transformative. So let's look to the Lord in prayer together, shall we? Our God and Father, we recognize this morning that uh, um, this time together, the, the time that we've spent just focusing our hearts and worshiping you, uh, the time that we've committed these little ones uh, to you, and the time that we're committing to your word this morning that these are not merely human endeavors, God, that this isn't just a motivational speech, but that apart from the, the voice of your Holy Spirit through your word, the Bible, uh, Lord, anything else that's said is valueless. So really ask that you'd bring clarity uh, this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, it's, it's really the second part of this verse, isn't it, that kind of lends this weight and puts this odd tension or pressure on us as parents and as a community discipling the next generation. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And that particular phrase, it, it sort of reads as a promise, right? And I think what resonates with us as being uh, intention there is life doesn't always work out that way, right? You probably know one or more young people who are raised in good Christian homes, raised in the church, went to Sunday school or whatever, and they're, not, they're far from God. Or maybe you've just had significant struggles. Pastorally, this message and this whole idea this morning has had a, a different weight to it this week 
There's a middle-aged man who grew up here for many years, went through Sunday school, went through Iwana, uh, who struggled with a, a host of things and ultimately ended his life. And that's happened uh, earlier this summer as well. In fact, there's, there's a, a, a handful of men in particular that we've mourned the loss of over the last several years who grew up in this church, grew up in Sunday school, grew up in Awana, raised in godly homes. Some of them went far from God and, and denied him even, and others just struggled and battled. How does that reconcile and resonate with the truth of this scripture? I've felt that this week. And one of my uh, really strong senses of just pastoral burden this week is the parent who did the things that you feel like you were supposed to do and your kids are maybe far from God or, or even just still figuring it out but aren't walking with him right now. And I think that the word has something to say to you today. The other audience is the parents that we saw up here this morning, the young parents and the tremendous amount of pressure that we put on ourselves at times that's actually even beyond what the scripture puts on us. And we're gonna look at that this morning. So a couple of things that we observe and we've talked about in life, but let's look at the Bible uh, as well. Just a quick overview of the Old Testament. You'll see that the patriarchs and matriarchs of the Bible, in many cases, Abraham and Jacob and Esther and others, that they grew up in homes that were filled with things like favoritism and deceit and even adultery, like not good nurturing environments. And yet God raised up these men and women. Matter of fact, the two greatest Old Testament kings of Judah, Hezekiah and Josiah, had fathers who were the most corrupt kings in Judah's history. And I don't say this to be trite, but what about God the Father himself measured against this idea, when he is old, he will not depart from it if they're trained up. What about God's children? What about you and me and how we are? Even after we become believers in Jesus, we still at times wander from him. We still at times completely willfully rebel against him, don't we? And so how do we get at the truth of this scripture? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. What I hope to kind of unpack today is what I'd call the myth of the perfect parent that this verse kind of puts forth that's not correct. And admittedly, I've stolen our, our message title this morning from a book by a woman named Lindsay Leyland, Lindsay Leyland Fields. Easy for me to say. It's called Parenting is Your Highest Calling and Eight Other Myths. And she talks about these things that exist in Christendom, uh, myths and pressures that are on parents and families that actually aren't biblical. It's a great read. But we're kind of focused on this chapter, the myth of the perfect parent. In order to understand uh, Proverbs 22.6, we really under, need to understand what a proverb is. What is a proverb? Well, in the larger culture, if you ask somebody what a proverb is, they probably quickly think of, of Chinese proverbs, right? Which is a, a clever uh, wisdom saying as opposed to a biblical proverb that we'll look at this morning. And so I, I found a couple Chinese proverbs that I thought were interesting. Number one, uh, dig the well before you are thirsty, right? A cleverly worded uh, wisdom saying, dig the well before you are thirsty or something a little bit more profound than that. What you cannot control, welcome, right? What you cannot control having to do with life's adversities and challenges and difficulties, right? And then I found uh, this one, which still befuddles me. It says, it is difficult to catch a black cat in a dark room especially when it's not there. 
I don't get it. By the way, I, I was telling Zach that I think this illustration outweighed the point of it being an illustration because most people who saw me after the service wanted to try to unpack and explain that prop, Chinese proverb. It's not the point. My point is that uh, biblical proverbs are different, right? We're familiar with Chinese proverbs in the culture. Biblical proverb is this. We'll define it this way. It's a literary device whereby a general truth is brought to bear on a specific situation. Many, many proverbs in the Bible are not absolute promises, but rather express general truths that apply to a specific set of situations. In fact, Proverbs chapter 22, the very proverb that our scripture for today comes from, contains five or six of these. Let me give you two of them. Uh, Proverbs twenty two eleven. One who loves a pure heart and speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. Now, not only does it not apply literally in the United States where we don't have a monarchy, but it also would not be an absolutely true statement or promise that if you're a gracious person and you speak with kindness, that you're going to go bowling or fishing and be BBFFs with the king or even the CEO of your company or however you apply that. It's not an absolute promise. It's a principle to do with how you carry yourself will give you audience with people of significance, generally speaking. Let's look at another one. One who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. Again, not an absolute guarantee. In fact, the Psalms are replete with passages that kind of confront the opposite of this idea. God, why do the wicked and those who are wealthy and have all the power, why do they flourish while the poor and the destitute struggle and so on and so forth? But again, general statement. Generous people, gracious, generous people uh, will have some level of prosperity. It's something that is generally true. And so we could say too of Proverbs 22, 6. It's a general truth, what we'd call a maxim rather than a promise. And so what is, how does it apply then? How do we apply this particular scripture? We're gonna look at it in three chunks this morning. We'll look at train up a child. We'll look at in the way he should go. And we'll look at when he's old, he will not depart from it. But I want to remind us this morning, what I, what I don't want to do is if you are a uh, young adult who's single or if you're an empty nester, let's say you're a grandparent, I don't want you to tune out this morning and say, okay, well, this is for parents with kids in the house. I'm out. I want to remind us that child dedication, what we witnessed, what we did standing together, commits us all to what is essentially a team sport endeavor in seeing God's activity and his work in the lives of our young people and in our lives first and foremost. So let's look at train up. Train up, the first phrase in this proverb. In the original language, this, uh, the word train has the idea of, of vigilance, of, of dedicating ourselves to and being vigilant towards some end. It's the idea of, of sort of a honing in, a narrowing of focus and energy and resources and time toward a particular end in the context, of course, how we raise our kids. That we're, we're to train up, we're to be vigilant and committed to the process of raising them. In fact, as we look at the book of Proverbs, there's really only one main task that parents are given in the book of Proverbs. It's to educate their children. And it's really a much more, in the Proverbs, it's, it's a whole, uh, education holy in terms of like biblical shalom, a wholeness. And so that's physically, mentally, emotionally, and then spiritually that they would know and walk with God. 
Much of the Old Testament, when it talks to families and parents specifically, kind of deals with this. In fact, uh, the last child dedication we had in the springtime, when Pastor Zach preached, he preached on a passage of Deuteronomy on some practical instruction about raising our kids. I want to read just a couple of verses from that this morning. Interestingly, as a, as a church, uh, if you're not aware, we've been studying the book of Proverbs roughly over the last year, and here we are. We're kind of off topic this morning, yet we're back in, Pro- or, or not Proverbs, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy. We're back in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy 6, just three verses this morning. And, and I want you to note this morning how Moses moves from the heart to our words to action, right? Attitude words, and then action. Listen to what he says. He says, these words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your city gates. This is the idea of train up. Moses is talking about passing on the law of God to the next generation. And it's both something that begins and originates in in our commitments in our own heart that then is voiced in the home and then that there's action to. And of course, the Jews at this time, we've talked about this in the past, they took this so literally that they would take bits of the law and put them into little leather boxes that had straps on them and they would actually literally physically tie them to their wrists and their foreheads, taking the passage extremely literally. And what's at stake is that they understood that their words needed to have actions that were viewable by their kids. And so we could say it this way in principle, passive parenting is not godly parenting. Passive parenting and not godly parenting. Let's put it in terms of an application for us this morning. Model what you mean. Model what you mean. So if you communicate to your, something to your children, or let's apply this more broadly, your grandchildren or that Awana group that you work with or the youth group kids or the individual that you're discipling if you're uh, uh, you know, doing one-on-one discipleship with somebody, as you speak things about life and God and his word, model those things. A couple ways in which you can uh, do that. If you want your kids and speak about being uh, forgiving and gracious and repentant in their walks with God, with God in sort of in a daily way, then model that. Being repentant and being a, a forgiving person within the context of your relationships with your neighbors, your spouse, and certainly even with, with your own children. If you want your kids to be uh, diligent and disciplined and hardworking, then model for them. Working hard, being diligent, being disciplined in different areas of life. Certainly you won't do it perfectly, but by and large trying to walk out the very thing you're voicing to them. If you want your kids to be committed to reading God's word each day, to spending at least a a small amount of time, if not more, uh, with God, just you and just them and, and their God, then model that for them. I'll never forget when I was convicted when my kids were small. I think it was a book, um, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Uh, and, and I was convicted to stop doing my devotions and my quiet time with Jesus in my bedroom with the door shut and to move it to the living room. And just a subtle way to, to do this application, to model what you mean. You say it's a priority, show it. If you're married and you aspire and encourage your kids toward developing godly relationships with the opposite sex and someday a a, a godly marriage, model that. Uh, My wife and I try to very much intentionally model uh, appropriate physical affection in front of my kids so that they see that we actually like each other. We, We laugh, we tease, we have fun. Sometimes it grosses them out. 
recent example for the point of levity. Uh, we were, I think it was a random school morning, and we were in the kitchen. I came into the kitchen. My wife was standing there. I kind of came up behind her and held her, and she turned around, and I gave her a kiss. And my daughter, who was sitting at the kitchen table, I didn't know it when I first went into the room, um, and she's eating her cereal. And I said, oh, I said, Ella, was that gross? And she, without even looking up or batting an eyelash and hesitating, as she's eating her cereal, she goes, eh, at least you weren't eating each other this time. <laughs> now, I promise you, it was, it's never been inappropriate, but her choice of words was a little concerning. <laughs> What's the, uh, there's a proverb out of the mouths of babes, right? Model what you mean. Again, you don't have to be perfect. And let me tell you, I stand here as one who is a self-proclaimed non-expert. Okay, we're about two-thirds of the way through parent, this stage of parenting where our kids are in our home. At least I pray that we're about two-thirds of the way. <laughs> and, and we don't have it all figured out. Right, we've made mistakes around, along the way of speaking just for me. I won't indict my wife. I have not only lost my temper with my kids, I've lost my kids in the past. <laughs> Some of you have heard the story, and we don't have time for it this morning, about the time when uh, my two little guys in diapers were walking right along the edge of Tollgate Road, and I was oblivious doing landscaping down in the yard, right? This is not from the perspective of I've got it figured out and you need to learn it. This is us together, right? Child dedication commits us all to this team sport endeavor, if you will. So let's look at the next phrase. Train up a child in the way he should go. Two interpretations to this. There's the literal and then sort of the contextual. The literal would say, uh, in his way. Train up a child in his way, which would have more to do with according to his personality and dispositions and interests. And by the way, we're using the masculine pronoun to talk about all kids, okay? Just to make that clear. Train up a child in his way. And when he is old, he will not depart from him, right? He'll be the person that God made him to be. And I think that's the weaker of the two translations. And one of the reasons for that is contextual. When the book of Proverbs talks about the way, it always talks about the path of life that one is on. And so you'll read things in the negative like uh, the way that leads to destruction or the way of folly, which is foolishness. Or on the positive side, the way that leads to life or the way of wisdom. And so when, when Proverbs 22.6 talks about the way that he should go, the should there is put into the English rendering uh, in terms of the context, that it's the ideal way. It's the way that he or she ought to go. It's the way of wisdom. It's Notice it's not even the way that I or the parent thinks they should go, right? It's the way that they should go with a divine imperative that we'll look at a little bit later. It's the path of maturity that we talked about earlier. The one job that God has given parents is to educate their children. And that's both to be, become uh, 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 resolved and, and mature human beings, but also godly. We could say life and godliness. This is something Peter talks about in his second letter in the New Testament. Peter says this. He says, his divine power, that is God's divine power, has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So Peter says, God, for the sake of his own glory, his name and his credit, has called the people to himself. And because he's good, he's given us, according to his power, uh, through his word, everything that we need for life and godliness. All the tools in the toolbox that we need to live a godly lives are, are God has given to us. And that certainly applies to parenting. And so as we talk about this idea of the way that we should go, 
God has given us the tools to point our kids in that direction, but we have to know his word in order to apply that. Paul says in, in Ephesians 6, fathers, don't exasperate or stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Parenting is working toward the should. That's what parenting is. It's working toward the should. And part of how we do that is to not exasperate or provoke our children, but rather, on the other hand, mark milestones, celebrate who they are. That's kind of what we, you know, these families this morning sort of took the first step in that process. They marked a milestone, child dedication. And the idea biblically would be to continue that pattern rather than exasperating or provoking or nitpicking our kids to actually be proactive in celebrating their development as people and as Christians. So this is our second application. Celebrate, don't exasperate. Celebrate, don't exasperate. And you do that uh, through the routines of weekly rhythms and celebrating significant things. Paul says, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So I wanna talk about that in sort of the day-to-day and then actual celebrations. Uh, one resource that I didn't actually know about until recently uh, um, was just uh, shared with me this past week that, that you may not be aware of. If, if you go to groutonbiblechapel.org backslash Sunday school, our team has put together a resource page that contains uh, a, a resource to process each Sunday with your young people, your kids. And so what they're learning in Sunday school, you can talk about in the ride home or in lunch after church, so on and so forth. That's one resource that's on that page. The other resources is there are five days of devotions for each week associated with the Sunday school curriculum. So if practically speaking, you're looking for something as a parent in the training and instruction lane, that's a great resource. But what about this idea of celebrate? Encourage that we mark milestones in our kids' lives. That, that is milestones of their just physical growth and development. I think a lot of us do that, but also spiritually. Here's one way in our life that we kind of brought the two together. When our sons turn 13 and when our daughter turns 16 in the future, uh, we marked the milestone of the end of childhood and the beginning, in the, in the case of our sons, of manhood. And we did that by using two resources. One of the elders here uh, at this church turned me on to a book from the 1980s by Robert Lewis, Lewis called How to Raise a Modern Day Knight. If you're a note taker, How to Raise Modern Day Night by Robert Lewis. And we kind of married that up with a resource put out by Family Life called Passport to Identity. And so here's what we did. We took our 13-year-old and I took them off on a, on a trip. We did some big adventure together and we worked through the Passport to Identity curriculum. It deals with things like character and godliness and being a man and all this stuff. And we did that curriculum together. It's geared to their age. It was fun. It was engaging. And then when we came home, we threw this big bash and we had had all their buddies come over, you know, 10 or so buddies and their, their uh, buddies' fathers in many cases, our extended family. I had our grand, granddad speak into uh, my sons' lives, and we just made this big moment. And then we bought them each, again, this was at 13, a significant gift that, that had some deep significance to who they were, uh, and it was something, we, quite frankly, we couldn't really afford. Like, it was big, to mark the end of childhood and the beginning of manhood. And the goal with that, from a developmental standpoint, was not only to mark their physical age and growing and maturing, but to say childhood is over, manhood has begun, God is raising you to be a godly man, not just another dude. And note that I said that God is raising you. 
We just are partners in what God is already doing. Now, that's just one example. And listen, we didn't get it right. In fact, each kid got a better experience because we learned, we learned as we went. But I passed that on to you. And I've, I've got blogs on that if you're interested to just say, figure out the places to celebrate your kid's development. Now, if you're sitting there this morning, there's a couple thoughts perhaps might be running through your head. Number one, gosh, I've already raised my kids. I didn't do any of that. Or, 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 or my kids are, are far from, from the Lord. Or maybe you say, I mean, I'm 25, I work at EB. I'm an NG, uh, like, how does this apply to me? Child dedication commits all of us to the team sport of discipleship. So let me make a couple of points here. If you're uh, beyond the parenting years or later in the journey and you haven't done any of those things, no regrets. Start where you're at right now. Just figure out where you're at right now and find simple things that you can do to honor the process of your kid's growth, to bring the Lord into it. Ask other parents around you. Seek out the staff here for, for ideas. Begin now with whatever's going on in your kid's life, whatever is redeeming and that you can, that you can celebrate. And if you're a young person or an empty nester or a grandparent, and I'll talk a little bit more about grandparents at the end, Figure out the place where God would have you to be a part of this process. For those of you that are young and single, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that you've been given this gift of disposable slash undistracted time that parents and those with families don't have. And you're responsible for how you steward that and being a part of the family of God. And so we'll talk about that as we wrap up uh, this morning. But be thinking about, there is a role for all of us to play here. What, where would God have me to plug in? and to be involved. We'll come, we'll come back to that a little bit later. You know, there are a lot of great resources and, you know, sharing some books and some different things this morning. But the number one resource in terms of shaping our kids for the sake of walking with Jesus is a life that's been transformed by the gospel ourselves. And it may be true this morning that maybe you're a family member who's visiting us here for the dedication. And when I use the phrase, the gospel, you don't know what that means. And I wanna unpack that both to remind me and to, to share with you a little bit about uh, what that is. You see, uh, Jesus died, we could say it this way in light of our current proverb, Jesus died to get us back to should. Jesus died to get us back to what ought be. What Jesus did when he went to the cross was he dealt with the rebellion issue that human beings have. And when I say human beings, I mean me and you. That we have this part of us that wants to rebel against God, that is innately uh, and, and uh, instinctively selfish, rebellious, and sinful. And what God did in sending Jesus is he took all of that sin and he put it on Christ. And then Christ, who was perfect and sinless, was punished in your place and in my place. And as I step out in faith and trust that Christ did that on my behalf and receive him into my life, my sin issue is dealt with for eternity. It's what's called the divine exchange. It's that Jesus gets my sin and gets punished for it, but it doesn't end there. It's that I get his perfection, his righteousness, his holiness, and oh, bonus, eternal life when this life is over. It is a tremendous uh, the motivation of, of God's grace to give us Jesus ought to blow our doors off. And, and Peter says it this way in his first letter, by the way. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to hang there for on, on new birth and a living hope. You can't have new birth and living hope if you didn't come from a place of absolute death and despair to start with. What Peter is so exercised about, and I read it with, without the emphasis that I know that he had when he wrote it, is that God has given us a new start and he's given us a hope for eternity. And our kids should see that there's something different because Jesus is in our lives that's infectious. It is the greatest resource. If you blow everything else in your parenting, but your kids see that your life has been transformed by Jesus and that you're different because of him in your life, your kids will go on for the Lord. And I think that's a huge part of this proverb is really connecting that we need to connect to who God is through Jesus Christ. We need to know that transformative experience ourselves. And so I would implore you, give your junk to the Lord. Why hang on to it anymore? Your sin, your, the things that nobody else, like give it all to him. He is able, he bore it at the cross. It's paid for, it's over. If you will just receive his salvation. New life and a living hope that it might transform my heart and your heart. And then I begin to parent differently because here's the deal. Now I begin to parent from, a, from the standpoint of I'm no longer concerned about necessarily how my kids turn out, but I'm now just concerned about I want my kids to faithfully see what an active, vibrant relationship with Jesus looks like and I'm trusting the results to him. And that brings us to our, our third and, and final point here, it's, or our last phrase. When he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the, the part that's read wrongly as a promise. This is the part that causes all the tension and our first point is that we surrender the outcomes to God. We surrender the outcomes to God. And this applies to everybody in the room. If you're working in a Sunday school class, as you prepare that lesson and you teach those students, it's not on you to change their hearts and to transform them and make them into disciples. Moms and dads, you got a kid who's struggling in a particular area of sin and you've not been able to see change. It's not on you to be able to affect that change. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the growth. And part of the, the misnomer and misapplication of this proverb is that we start to put ourselves in the place of Jesus as Savior. We start to put ourselves as having to manipulate transformation into our kids' lives. And it's not our jobs. Our job is to be faithful. Whether you're a youth worker, Sunday school teacher, a grandparent, or a parent, be faithful in the lane you've been given. God is the one who brings transformation. And so uh, moms and dads, and this has been convicting my own life with, with where my kids are at. What does it look like to really, genuinely surrender the outcome to God and to just plant water? Maybe, moms, maybe you've planted the word of God in your kids' lives when they were small and dads, you've been nurturing it as they've gotten older. Or maybe a wanna leader, you've planted the word of God in that group of fourth grade kids you've been working with or Sunday school teacher, you've watered it, but you've begun to think that it's on you. Be set free from that. Do what you've been doing, be faithful but God is the one who gives the growth. Brings us to our last application this morning. We entrust to God, but we engage the process. We entrust to God, but we engage the process. That's the, that's the tension you've been hearing a little bit this morning. There is this paradox of we're disciplined, we're vigilant, we train up, 
We get to work. We do the things God called us to, but we entrust the outcomes to him. He's the one who gives growth. And I think that this applies largely to a, a corporate context. That is to the community of God's people more than just to an individual mom or dad or let's say a single parent or even grandparents who are raising their kids. That it's the collective people of God. This is why we stood together with all these young moms and dads this morning who do discipleship together. Uh, in the book of Judges, we won't read it for the sake of time this morning. Uh, there's the account of Joshua and the elders who were around him at the time, all dying off. And the text says that another generation grew up who did not know the Lord and had not seen the works of the Lord. And essentially it says they immediately just began to fall into the idol worship and the pagan practices of the nations around them, all the way to the point where they started to sacrifice their children, sons and daughters in the fire to pagan deities. It only takes one generation to step away from following the Lord, from keeping our eyes on Jesus, to move away from the gospel for the same thing to happen in our time. So as we entrust to the Lord, let's also engage the process together as a community of God's people. So again, this proverb is a general truth. Praise God, most children raised in godly homes will choose to walk with him, although I will tell you that that number is decreasing. And I think that in Christian homes that there is a lot of what happens and it's happened in our home on, on different times that you, you rush to church and you come in and it's all this. But that's not what's going on below the surface. So everybody has a part to play. I'm reminded of the illustration of uh, Timothy in the New Testament. Timothy was the, the protege of Paul. He was, Paul called him my true son in the faith. There are two uh, books of the Bible named after Timothy. And Timothy, it says in 1 Timothy 1 in chapter 3, his, the spiritual formation of his life was most significantly shaped by his mother and his grandmother. His mom and his grandmother. In fact, the book of Acts sort of intimates that his dad was not a believer in Jesus. Single parents in the room, it was mom and grandma. Grandparents in the room is a huge part that you play. You see, everybody's part matters. Your part matters. What is it that God is calling you to step into? I wanna, I wanna make a quick plug and then we're gonna conclude. For the grandparents in the room, uh, the uh, six or eight couples from this church are attending a conference this fall in just about a month on biblical grandparenting. And we're sort of exploring the idea of bringing this ministry here to the chapel. What does it mean to parent, grandparent biblically? Because I think it's true, and I'll speak for myself, of, of parents and grandparents that we don't actually know biblically what does the Bible teach is the lane and, and the responsibilities for grandparents in the lives of their grandchildren. And so that's something that we're exploring. Uh, young adults, our 20s group, or empty nesters, 1 Corinthians 7. Right? It tells us, particularly for those who are single, that you've been given the gift of disposable time, if you will. And whether it's from babies to 12th graders, where is the place that perhaps God is calling you to plug and invest? It might not be one of our programs here. It might be. It might be one-on-one -on -one discipleship or mentoring. But you're accountable for how that time is used. Get to the end of your single years if God has marriage for you or live a lifetime of singleness and faithfulness to the Lord and be able to say, I stewarded my time well for the kingdom, not just my career and other aspirations. And so church, moms and dads, grandparents, 
youth workers, single parents, empty nesters, all of us. Your part matters. Let's model what we mean. Celebrate and not exasperate. And while we entrust outcomes to God, let's engage the process together. Pray with me this morning. Lord God, we thank you for what we witnessed this morning, these young families making a commitment to train up, to be vigilant in helping their kids know who you are, to model that, to love their children. And yet, Lord, we know that the, the growth of our kids in you, oh God, is the work that you do in their hearts. Help us as a church, whether it be through youth or children's ministry or parenting or grandparenting or whatever approach, Lord, to be found faithful. And Lord, we ask you explicitly that you would raise up a generation of young people, even those seen on the stage this morning, who blow the statistics away, who continue to walk with you until old age and until they die and go to live with you forever. God, help us to be a church that is found faithful in training up our children. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.